Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 193 for the fourth of Sivan in Alipir. So for the past couple of episodes, we've been discussing this idea of the Shekhinah, the divine indwelling, and what this means in terms of God's presence in the world. And we went on pretty much a whole long journey discussing this idea of the seeming paradox of how it is that, well, on the one hand, we say that God is everywhere and in everything, and there is no place devoid of God. There are some places that we say that God is a little bit more revealed is a little bit more manifest and less hidden. And we discussed how this could be by really mapping out the whole outline of how the Shekhinah descends down here into our world. And then we talked about this very interesting blip in the system. And this was in yesterday's episode, so you can go back and listen to that if you haven't already, of how usually there's a normal chain of events of this descent of the Shekhinah from rung to rung throughout the levels of creation, becoming progressively more concealed, progressively more hidden and obscure. However, there was one exception to this rule, and the exception to this rule was found in the original tablets that contained on them the Ten Commandments that we received on Mount Sinai that were housed in the Holy Ark in the First Temple, in in the Holy of Holies of the First Temple. And so... The exception to this rule was the sense that this, even though these, the interesting thing was that even though these tablets were physical objects made of stone, and so you would think that they should follow by natural course, the natural order of creation in terms of their manifestation of godliness in, uh, in descending from rung to rung, by virtue of the fact that these tablets were not ordinary physical objects, but they were actually called Maase Elokim, they were made by the hand of God himself, and they contained within them the entire essence, the Ten Commandments contain the entire essence of the entire Torah, which what is the entire Torah? The entire Torah is God's will and wisdom, which stems from a higher place than the Shekhinah itself, as we described. Then thus, these commandments, these these tablets were able to manifest within them a level of the Shekhinah that surpassed all of those levels. So it was sort of like they were able to skip through all those levels of chain reaction throughout all the worlds and have a direct connection and a direct manifestation of the Shekhinah itself here in this world. So that's like a really brief overview. And again, if you want more of a detailed, in-depth, technical breakdown of all of that, please go back and listen to the last few episodes. Uh, but that's the basic idea. So this was one of the explanations as to why the first temple contained within it so many miraculous aspects 
that are really hard for us to imagine nowadays because it's not anything that is related to our reality today. But like, for example, one of the miracles in the first temple was this idea of how the Ark itself that contains these Ten Commandments didn't take up any space. So what what that means is that basically the Ark was contained within the Holy of Holies, as we know. And the Ark was two and a half cubits in length, and it was right in the center of that room right in the center of the wall and so and then on either side of that of the arc if you were to measure from the arc to the wall next to it it was 10 cubits on one side and then 10 cubits on the other side so if you add that up that should be 10 cubits plus 10 cubits plus 2.5 cubits so it should be 22.5 cubits right but then the interesting thing was that if you actually just like measured the length of the wall itself like in a part where the arc was not there or like just like you know without taking the arc into consideration then it actually only measured 20 cubits so what that basically means and what it demonstrates is that while the arc did have dimensions it actually didn't take up any physical space so this is just one of many examples of the miracles that happened in the original temple in Jerusalem, the first temple. So this was a really amazing thing, as you can imagine. People flocked to this temple from all over the world in recognition of the fact that there was something really special about it, and truly there was. This was a place which manifested God and godliness, and as we know it, the Shekhinah, in a way that nothing else did. However, alas, as we all know, that this temple was destroyed, and we no longer have it. Since then, there was a second temple, which was not nearly as miraculous as the first one, and now we have no temple at all. So the question becomes, and this is the title that I gave to today's episode, is where did the Shekhinah go? Where has divinity gone? So if we know that there was this blip in the system at that one time that brought down God's will and wisdom into the world in a more manifest way, do we still have that? Is that still present in our world today? So as we'll learn, yes indeed we do it may not be in the same on the same level of miraculousness of this blip in the system type of way but nevertheless we'll still find that the shekhinah is manifest in certain areas of our life more so than in others so i'd like to get straight into the text to see how the altar of explains all of this and you'll see that at first he begins with the retelling of where the shekhinah resided during the times of the second temple which is what we had after the destruction of the first temple and then where the shekhinah resides now when we no longer have that when we don't even have the second temple any longer and the second temple was destroyed so here we go so again for context we are in the middle of chapter 53 of lukotea marim this is the last chapter of lukotea marim very exciting and then we're going to move on to other sections in the tanya so the altar of begins and he describes how it was that in the time of the second temple there was no ark there was no tablets they they weren't present there anymore and thus the sages taught that the shekhinah didn't dwell there and now the altar is going to explain what this means he's he says what that means isn't that the Shekhinah wasn't there. It means that the Shekhinah wasn't there on the level that it was in the time of the first temple, which at the time of the first temple, the Shekhinah was there in this like very miraculous way that it surpassed the natural order of creation. It surpassed all the natural order of the Seder Hishdalshlos, the natural progression that it should go through that we learned about in previous episodes. 
that level of the Shekhinah surpassing these levels did not exist in the time of the second temple, in the second temple. However, the Altarba teaches, it did, it, it was there, like the Shekhinah was there. It was just there in a more natural way. It, it did go through that natural progression. So if you remember the natural progression, just a brief overview of that, is that the way that the Shekhinah naturally descends from world to world is that it begins in Malchus of Atzillus, that's like its origin point, and from there it goes into the Chabad or the Heichal Kodesh Kedushim of Bria, and then from there it goes from into the Malchus of Bria, and then from the Malchus of Bria it goes into the Heichal Kodesh Kedushim, otherwise known as the Chabad of Yetzira, and then from the Chabad of Yetzira or the Heichal Kodesh Kedushim Yetzira it goes into the Malchus of Yetzira, and then from the Malchus of Yetzira it goes into the Heichal Kodesh Kedushim, otherwise known as the Chabad of Asiya. And so now, this is where the altar brings us up to at this point. So Chabad, so now the Heichal Kodesh Kodoshim of of Asiya, the chamber of holy of holies of Asiya. Then from there, it became clothed in the actual physical Kodesh Kodoshim, the actual physical holy of holies that was found in the temple down here below in that se second temple, and that's where the Shechina resided. So if you follow that logic, that means that the Kodesh HaKadoshim of Asiya is originating from Malchus of Yetzirah, which is the world right above it. And so this is why this, so the bottom line of all this, just to make simplify things, is that in the time of the second temple, while the Shekhinah wasn't there in that same miraculous, like jumping through worlds kind of way that it was found in the first temple, however, it still was there. And where was it? It was in that Kodesh HaKadoshim, in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. So it was still very much there, even though the way of descent and the way it got there wasn't in a more natural, progressive kind of way. But since it was still there, this is why nobody was allowed to go into there except for the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, because it was really a very, a place that really manifested godliness in a way that nothing else on earth did. And now the Altar says there's this teaching that's taught in the Gemara in Brachos, page 8a, which says, So what that means is that now that we no longer have, we don't have the first temple and we don't even have the second temple anymore. So where is left for God to reside? Where's left is halacha, is the four cubits of halacha. And then the Gemara goes on, and the Gemara explains that even one person who sits and learns Torah, the Shechina is with him. Where it says, Shechina imo. So again, the Shechina, this is this idea of the Shechina. So that same Shechina that resided within the tablets in the first Beis HaMikdash, and it resided in the Holy of Holies in the second Beis HaMikdash. And which we've been describing descends from level to level to level throughout the worlds to vivify those worlds and really is that source of vivification of all of the worlds. Where is it found now? It's found in us learning Torah. By way of the descent of, like we learned, of having the Shekhinah being vested within the Malchus of Atzillus and then eventually into the Malchus of Bria, and then eventually into the Malchus of Yetzirah, and eventually Malchus of Asiya, as we described. So it's so this whole chain of events, of chain reaction of the Shekhinah's descent, culminates in 
halacha in us in the in God's halacha down here. So there's a really subtle point that the altar is making here that uh, in which he's pointing out the inferiority of our connection with the Shechina, even in relation to how it how it was manifest in the second temple. So if you recall, just before I was mentioning about how in the second temple the Shechina resided in the Holy of Holies in the Kodesh Kadoshim, and that Shechina, where did it come from? Since again, that wording, the Holy of Holies, it's like the next level up from there was Malchus of Yetzira. So meaning to say that the Shechina that was found, that was manifest in the second temple in the Holy of Holies was a Shechina which was radiating from Malchus of Yetzira, which is a world above Asiya. However, here in our right now, like when we don't have the second temple anymore, then the Shekhinah actually needs to descend one level further in order to relate to us. It needs to go not only into the Malchus of Yetzira, but it needs to transcend further into the Malchus of Asiya. So why is that? Explains the, the Alter Rebbe. He says that it's because Asiya is the world of action. And if we look at the actual mitzvahs, which is where the Shekhinah is found, the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah, almost all of them, if not pretty much all of them, are all physical things. They're all physical mitzvahs. And and even those things which have to do with speech or thinking. So like somebody might say like, well, learning Torah or saying the grace after meals or saying Shema or prayer or those kind of things, like that doesn't seem like to be such a physical kind of thing to do. You know, it's more like of, of an emotional kind of like m- contemplative connection that we have with God. However, it is taught that if somebody just like, and we've learned about this previously, if somebody just like thinks the words and doesn't say them out loud, whether you are learning or whether you're praying, then you're not yotze, like you're not, you don't fulfill your obligation. So in order to have your prayer be like for, for to count, so to speak, or for your speaking to count, you need to speak it. You need to say it. Um, even if you have the best kavana in the world, even if you have the best intention while you're praying or while you're learning, you need to actually speak the words out loud to make it real. And moreover, teaches the altar rabbi, he says that even somebody who's just like moving their lips, like, you know, like a person speaking, it might seem like, oh, it's not much of an action. This is considered an action. And so now the altar rabbi is going to conclude and discuss why it is specifically the halacha. Why not like other aspects of Torah? Like, why do we really focus on halacha as being where the Shekhinah resides. So the Altar says that the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah, together with the seven mitzvahs that of the rabbinical mitzvahs, which come out to the gematria of Keter, because it's uh, 620 in total, and the gematria, the numerical value of the word Keter, which means a crown, is also 620. So just to break that down for you guys, so the word Keter in Hebrew is spelled Kaf, Taf, Resh. So Kaf is 20 in Gematria. Taf is 400 and Resh is 200. So 20 plus 400 plus 200 is 620. And 620 is the number of total commandments. When we count the 613 Torah commandments, the biblical commandments, plus the seven rabbinical commandments, it comes out to 620. Okay, so what's the relevance? What what do we, when we say crown, Keter, what does this mean on a deeper spiritual level? So we know that the level of, of Keter in Kabbalah, in mysticism, when we talk about like the different spheros, we usually start with the sphere of Chochmah, if you've noticed, that's like the first one, but there's actually a sphere that comes above that. And that sphere is called Keter. 
and that sphera relates to the aspect of will so this keter this crown is god's will and if you think about that that's like the crown where does the crown sit the crown sits above a person's head so it's like above even their like intellect it's like what they want what they really want and then this will does then get vested within god's chokhmah within his supernal chokhmah which we know as we've been describing several times already in the tanya god's wisdom is unified with him with utmost unity and we know that god actually created the world with through with his wisdom so it says in mishle chapter 3 verse 19 which the altar recites here the hashem yesad aretz, that hashem founded the earth with his wisdom so what is God's wisdom. This is the oral Torah, which comes from the supernal Chokhmah, the supernal wisdom, as is spoken about in the Zohar, where it says, De Abba Yisad Balta, which the father literally means in Aramaic, the father begat the daughter. So meaning to say that the father, which is Chokhmah, begat the daughter, which is Malchus. Malchus is feminine, and that's a reference to the oral Torah. So that's the end of the section for today. And I know this is a lot, and I know it's like building lots of ideas upon ideas, but hopefully you're following along, and it's pretty straightforward logic if you do follow along from episode to episode. But just to really, really, really simplify it, basically, like the bottom line that if we wanted to just kind of get the bottom line here, is that what we learned about in today's section is that the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is that divine indwelling, that God, how God is really manifest throughout the worlds. In a way, and what we mean by that is that it's not just that he's present, because he's present everywhere, and there is no place that's devoid of God, but that where godliness is more revealed, the illumination is more intense. It's more perceptible to the observers, to the receivers, meaning to us. And we talked about three different eras in which the Shekhinah became revealed down here in this world and manifest in this world. The first era was the era of the first base of Magdash, and that's when the Shekhinah was revealed in the greatest way. And it was revealed specifically within the tablets, which were found in the Ark of the Holy of Holies. And in this first era of the first base of Magdash, we talked about how the Shekhinah was really revealed in such an intense way that it actually didn't even go through the order normal chain of events that it needs to get through to be uh, of concealment and contraction and all of that to get into our world but it surpassed all of that so it was like a direct the the tablets were a direct manifestation of hashem shechina on high in the malchus of Attilis, which was its source which is really incredible to think about and this is why they had such a miraculous nature about them the letters like floated and there was just something very miraculous about that whole thing then we talked about the second era, which was the second base of Magdash, and we talked about how the Shekhinah was still very much present there, and specifically in the Holy of Holies. However, it wasn't on the same level of presence or on the same level of illumination or revelation as it was in the first base of Magdash. For rather in the second base of Magdash, it did go through this natural chain of events and progression from level to level to level. But then if we wanted to pinpoint, okay, so what level were we experiencing the Shekhinah on at that time in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, then we described that the level that we were experiencing it at was from directly from Malchus of Yetzira, because Yetzira is the level that's right above Asiya, which is our world. And since it was here in the physical Kodesh HaKadoshim of Asiya, of in our world, that was getting its like 
manifestation from like the how it was being vested in our world was directly from the world above it in the the uh the world the malchus of yatira and then we talked about the third era which is the era that we're living in today in which we don't have any base of Magdash. We don't have the first one and we don't have the second one. And we talked about how the Shekhinah is still present here today. And where is it present? It's present within Halacha, within Jewish law, which sounds really kind of like, maybe like kind of like a anticlimactic kind of thing, but it's really not because what is Jewish law, law ultimately? It's the will of God. And that will of God is really ultimately the source of the Shekhinah and where it comes from. However, the way we experience the Shekhinah down here is still one level lower even than that level that we experienced it in the time of the second base of Migdash, where it was receiving its like illumination from the Malchus of Yitzhira. So here we're one step more removed. We are receiving our, the Shekhinah down here in an illuminated form, not from the Malchus of Yitzhira, but actually one step below that, where it goes from the Malchus of Yitzhira into the level of the Kodesh HaKadoshim of Asiya, and then into the level of the Malchus of Asiya. So the Shekhinah that we're receiving down here is from that level of Malchus of Asiya. So it's it's one step below. It's one step lower. And that is very much related to the fact that all of the commandments that we do are very physical in nature. Even if we're talking about those commandments that seem to be a little bit more meditative and seem to be more related to like the heart and the mind, when we're talking about prayer or learning and things like that, the altar Rebbe says, even those two are still physical because it's like when you pray or when you learn Torah, you really, in order to fulfill your obligation, you need to do it through your physical mouth, through physically speaking the words out loud. So that's it for today. And tomorrow, very exciting, we're going to actually learn the final section of Likutei Amarim. So it's going to be a siyum. It's going to be the end of the first section of the Tanya. Very, very cool. So stay tuned for that. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow. And until then, have a great day.